today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, we're so glad you could join us today. It is a special day, not only because it's our anniversary, but every second Sunday of the year, I always announce the new theme or focus of the year. And this is basically just something to rally our church around. It's something to focus our attention on throughout the entire year. It's not the only thing we talk about, but it is a focal point. And I believe God, he really does lead us every year into a certain topic, into a certain focus. As I seek him towards the end of last year, I was spending time seeking him in prayer and the word. I was also, I was also discussing it with the core leaders. And it became very clear what he wanted us to focus on. So last year, the theme or focus was be the church, right? Be the church. Well, this year, it is disciple. And it's just one word, disciple. As in, be a disciple and make a disciple. Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. And so I'm very excited to start this journey with you, and it is going to be a journey because this year we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to be learning about how to be a disciple. We're going to be doing trainings on how to make a disciple. But even more than that, we're going to actually invite people to engage in discipleship. So currently, uh, a few leaders and I, we're working on revising our entire discipleship process, and you're going to hear more about it very soon. So I'm very excited for that to happen. And you're going to have an opportunity to actually engage in it. So over time, my prayer is that discipleship is not just going to be one thing we do in our church, in a list of a lot of things, but rather it's going to define our church. It'll define us. I mean, that is our mission statement after all, right? You're like, right. What is our mission statement? <laughs> I'll tell you. We exist to multiply disciples of Christ for the glory of God and the blessing of all peoples. So that's our mission statement. That's why we exist. We don't want just a crowd on Sunday mornings. We don't want to just run programs. We want disciples to be made. We want to be disciples and make disciples. So then what is a disciple? Well, the word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes. And that word only appears in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the book of Acts. It actually kind of phases out when you get into the New Testament letters. And it doesn't appear at all in Revelation. And yet, that concept is throughout the New Testament. It's there throughout. But mathetes, it means a learner, a student. It's a follower of someone's teachings and way of life. And these days, you know what I'm talking about, but you go onto a popular YouTube channel and you have many, many disciples of that YouTube channel maker. I don't know, what do you call them, YouTubers? <laughs> but you get many disciples, right? They have millions of subscribers. They're following their teachings, following their way of life. But that is basically what that word means. That is a disciple. And this is not something casual. Maybe on YouTube it is. But back in Jesus' day, this is something very intentional. It is an intentional learning that requires full dedication and a complete reorientation of your life. And many of you guys know what I'm talking about because many of you guys are in professional careers already. And in your professional careers, you have to go through professional training where you have to follow the instructions and guidance of somebody above you, right? somebody who knows more than you, and so you're kind of following them, you're being trained by them. And it's not casual, it's something very intentional. You have to be very committed to this. 
And there's even a reorientation of your life that has to happen, right? For you to be discipled and trained by this person. This is true, by the way, even if you're a student in college. But if you want to really learn from a professor, really learn a subject, it's got to be very intentional. You have to be very dedicated. And so this is what discipleship is. And what's so clear to most people in their professional careers or in school, unfortunately, is not that very clear when it comes to their walk with God. And I don't know why that doesn't transfer over. But when it comes to other areas in their lives, they readily see themselves as learners and followers. So again, in their professional career, yeah, they know exactly what that means. Yeah, I'm a learner. I'm being, I'm being trained to code or I'm being trained to, you know, treat patients at a hospital, trained to whatever, see, you know, patients uh, in some clinic. But when it comes to your walk with God, they don't see themselves as a learner or follower of Jesus. And I don't know why. That doesn't transfer over. And this is strange because in the New Testament, to be a believer in Jesus is the same thing as being a disciple of Jesus. It's the same thing. Believers in Jesus were disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus were believers in Jesus. Okay, they were the same thing. There was no distinction. This is something that's modern, this distinction that happened. It's artificial. Early believers. Okay, why is that? And I want us to understand this by looking at the gospel that Jesus preached. Because the gospel that Jesus preached makes it impossible to separate the call to be a believer and a call to be a disciple. Okay, I'll say that again. If you really understand and wrap your mind around Jesus' gospel, then he makes it impossible to separate the two, the call to be a believer and the call to be a disciple. In fact, the gospel correctly understood and received is what causes people to become disciples. This is, this is what motivates and causes people to actually become disciples is, is if you truly understand Jesus' gospel. And the reason is because all true discipleship begins with the correct understanding of the gospel that Jesus preached. Okay, that's where true discipleship begins. So we're going to unpack that today. And we're going to do it by looking at the gospel of Mark. We're going to actually be in the gospel of Mark for several weeks now. Uh, you know, this entire series. And I know, we're already studying Mark in the community groups, and now you're thinking, okay, I'm going to be getting Mark at CG and on Sunday, and I think that's a good thing. Okay, that's not a bad thing. And hopefully we're going to get some new things out of our study of Mark here on Sundays. But we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, and the reason is because discipleship is one of the main themes in Mark. Okay, most Bible scholars, they say that Mark is the earliest Gospel that was written, probably around 65 A.D., it was written in Rome, mainly for a Roman Gentile audience. And in his gospel, Mark goes to great lengths to show how belief in Jesus is really how you follow Jesus. Belief in Jesus is really to follow Jesus. And in fact, following Jesus is more important than having a full understanding of Jesus. This is what we see in the gospel of Mark as you begin to read through it. According to Mark, full understanding will come as you follow Jesus. So as you read through the Gospel of Mark, you really see this. Mark's really good at showing this. Because you meet the disciples early on in his Gospel, and almost throughout the entire book, they lacked understanding. They were confused a lot of times. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. The majority of the time, they were even hard-hearted. And yet, they continued to follow Jesus. 
And as they continue to follow Jesus, their understanding began to grow little by little, and their belief in Jesus grew little by little. And so Mark makes it very clear. The most important thing that that an early believer, a Christian, needed to do is to hear the gospel that Jesus preached, to have a level of understanding, and because of that, begin to follow Jesus. And from there, everything begins to flow out. Everything begins to happen. So full understanding, a full reception of Jesus is not the most important thing. The important thing is, do you hear the gospel that he preached? And because of that, are you following him? Are you following him? And the gospel is what kept them following. So the gospel is what got them going and following Jesus. They heard and received the gospel that Jesus preached. Again, they didn't understand it fully, all of it in the beginning, but nonetheless, they heard and received the true gospel. And that's the true beginning of all discipleship. That's how you're going to become a disciple. That's how you're going to begin to follow Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, the reason is because you haven't really understood the gospel, which could mean you're not even truly saved. And so today, I want to look at the gospel that Jesus preached at the very open of his ministry. And we're going to look at the gospel's primacy, the gospel's calling, and then finally, the gospel's impact. So is all of that clear? It all begins with the gospel. So first, the gospel's primacy. If you look at Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So right here, like a flash of lightning in a clear sky, Jesus, he just appears in the countryside of Galilee. He just walks into that countryside. And Mark says the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth was the gospel of God. He came proclaiming the gospel of God. And why was that the first word out of Jesus' mouth? Well, maybe there are a lot of reasons. But at a minimum, it must be because the gospel is the entry point and it is the foundation for new life in God. This is where it all starts. This is the foundation. And the New Testament emphasizes this throughout. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul makes it very clear. For I deliver to you as a first importance. This is the most important thing he said. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And right before that, in the verses right before that, Paul, he said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. See, it's the foundation. Paul says, you stand on this gospel. Everything in your Christian life is built on this gospel. That's why this is of first importance. First importance is foundational. Paul emphasized this again in Galatians 1.9. He said, as we have said it before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, damned. Let him be damned. Let him be cast into hell because he came and preached a different gospel to you. Let him be cursed. So the gospel is primary. It is central. It is foundational. If you have the wrong gospel, everything else you build upon it in your Christian life is going to be wrong. It's going to be wrong. It'll be like trying to build a skyscraper on a sinkhole. Nothing's going to be right. Even if it looks beautiful and so tall, everyone's looking at it, and yet it's going to be faulty. It's going to be wobbly. 
It's kind of like buttoning your shirt, but starting with the wrong button. Have you guys ever done that? My youngest son, Isaiah, does that all the time. He's getting better, but he tries to dress himself. And I go, oh, man, Isaiah, you started with the wrong button. And so then from that point on, every button is off. But that's how it is if you have the wrong gospel. It doesn't matter what you do. Everything's going to be off. All your church going, your Bible study, you know, you trying to walk with God, everything is going to be off. And this is why so many Christians and entire churches, they get skewed. They even become false in their faith. I mean, this is complicated. There might be many reasons, but always, without fail, the bottom reason is they had the wrong gospel. It's foundational. So, for example, some became Christian through a social justice gospel. That is what they heard when they first got saved. And so their Christian lives became centered on fighting injustices in this world. And that's not a bad thing, right? That, that's a part of your walk with God. But that's what they center their lives on. And they ignore things like evangelism and the eternal issues. Others became Christian through a health and wealth gospel. Come to Jesus and everything in your life will go well, especially money and your health. So that's what they heard. That's what they believed. And so their Christian lives became consumed with consumerism. It became consumed with God blessing them. I've been to churches where the morning prayer is packed out. And when you listen to what they're praying for, I hear what people are praying for in these morning prayers times. Oh, God, please let my kid get into Harvard, right? Harvard. I mean, so many parents growing up, I remember hearing my parents' friends. I don't think they were friends, but anyway. So many of them were praying for their kids to get into Harvard. I don't know if God answered any of those prayers, but anyway. But they're consumed with this. God, bless me. Bless me financially. Bless me with perfect health. And when those things don't come, their shake is fundamentally shaken. Why? Because their foundation is off. Some even abandon their faith. Others become Christian through an antinomian which simply means anti-law, everything is grace gospel. And that's very popular these days. And so their Christian lives lack sanctification. It doesn't have this continual growth and holiness. They have glaring sins. Sometimes they even encourage certain sins. And they never get addressed. And so why is that? Why, why do some churches look like that? It's because they have a fundamentally wrong gospel. And then some Christians they get saved through a legalistic gospel, which on its face is a contradiction. How do you have grace that's legalistic? But there are many Christians who see the gospel merely as a way to get into heaven, and then from that point on, they are perfecting themselves in the power of the self by doing all these religious activities. So you get the point. There are many different ways to get the gospel wrong. And whenever you get the gospel wrong, everything you build on top of that is wrong. All of it is wrong. All of it gets skewed. It profoundly affects the Christian life that you will have. So if you receive an inadequate gospel, then you will have an inadequate Christian life. If you receive a wrong gospel, then you will have a wrong Christian life. This is serious stuff, brothers and sisters. You know, one Bible teacher said it like this. Every spiritual problem in your life can be traced back to a misunderstanding of the gospel. That is a big statement. So you struggle with habitual sin, you struggle with pride, religious pride, you, you lack motivation to do things for God, even coming out to church as a chore. All of that can be traced back to some false understanding of the gospel, all of it. And this includes a lack of discipleship. 
It includes lack of discipleship. This is why so many Christians, especially in our country, in America, they say, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, I'm going to heaven, and there's no discipleship in sight. They have no understanding, no concept of following Jesus in all of life. I'm a learner and student of Jesus. I'm his follower. And we're going to get into that more and more in the weeks ahead. But, but why? Where does that problem come from? They got the wrong gospel. Maybe it was just a grace-only gospel. Maybe it was a legalistic gospel. I don't know what they heard, but it was a wrong gospel. So what is the full gospel that Jesus preached? Okay, what is the gospel that he preached that motivated and projected people? Okay, just blasted them into this life of following him. Well, throughout Jesus' ministry, he made it clear that the core of the gospel is his death and resurrection. So whatever else I'm saying today, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the gospel is, is something different. The core of the gospel is his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, according to scripture. So Jesus made that clear, not in our passage today, but elsewhere in Mark's gospel, Mark 8, 29. He, Jesus made it very clear. He, after Peter made that great declaration, you are the Christ. In other words, you're the Messiah prophesied to come. Right after that, Jesus said what? Peter, yes, I am the Messiah. God revealed that to you, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. Right? I will be killed in Jerusalem and then rise again. So Jesus, even in Mark's gospel later on, made the core of the gospel clear. That's the core of the gospel. Going back to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul made this very, very clear. He said, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. Okay, why buried? Why is that important? To prove that he died and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He said that's the gospel. So Jesus' life, death, and resurrection according to the scriptures for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive eternal life. That is the core of the gospel. So before anything else, I want to make this clear. Okay? I don't want us to be confused about other things. That is the core of the gospel. If anybody comes to you and on the spot asks you, hey, what's the, what's the gospel? You're a Christian. Okay, what, what would your answer be? You know, I heard this really sad story, but there was this pastor one time. He was being interviewed uh, by a church. They were searching for a new pastor, and so this man showed up as a potential candidate. And during the interview, they asked him, what is the gospel? Hey, can you define that for us? And the interviewer said, when we asked him that, this pastor looked like a deer caught in headlights. <laughs> he was totally caught off guard. And I don't know why. I mean, what else would you expect them to ask you, right? <laughs> What's your favorite color? I, I mean, it's like you should have known that, right? You should have been prepared. But even pastors get caught off guard. How would you define that? What is the gospel? Uh, right? What, what, Jesus? I don't know. What, what is it? What's your answer? Well, here's the answer. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves sinners through his life, death, and resurrection, according to the scriptures. You just memorize that. Get that. That way you're never caught off guard. What is the gospel? It is the good news that Jesus saves sinners, like me, through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, that's the core. Okay, that is the core. Okay, it is our salvation. It is the good news of salvation as a free gift of God's grace through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Okay, there's different ways to say it, but that, that's the core, okay? But if that's all you know about the gospel, if you just stop there, that Jesus died for me, rose again, and yay, I'm going to heaven, but now I'm just going to do my thing. 
Okay, if that's your understanding of the gospel, then there is a real possibility you will never follow Jesus as a disciple. And now you have this artificial division in your life that was never there for the early believers. Again, to be a believer was a, to be a disciple. To be a disciple was to be a believer. But so many people, they're not, they don't understand that. Why? Because they just stop with that. Okay, Jesus died for me. I'm going to heaven. Yay. Now I'm going to live my life. And so there isn't this union between I am a Christian and I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. So then what is the gospel that Jesus preached that caused people to follow him? This is so important. This is where all discipleship begins. Well, go back to Mark. Mark 1. Okay, Mark says, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. The first thing out of his mouth. He came proclaiming the gospel of God. And then what did he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That is very important. So he came not just proclaiming a gospel as a ticket to heaven. He came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he's saying the kingdom of God is right here, right now. Why? Because I'm here. The fullness of time has come. In other words, God's chosen time has finally come. How? Because I'm here. God sent me and now I'm here. And because I'm here, God's kingdom is right here, right now. And although people didn't understand what he meant at that time, Jesus was offering the greatest invitation of a lifetime. He really was. Nothing would even come close. This is true even today. Jesus, when he sends out his gospel, it's even going out right now. There is not a single opportunity that you will come across in your life that will match that. This is the greatest invitation of a lifetime. And why was Jesus' invitation so unparalleled? I'm I'm saying big things here, brothers and sisters. These are sweeping things, but they're all true. There's nothing you will come across in your life. I don't care what it is, career, spouse, later you're going to have a kid. I, I I don't care what it is. Those are all wonderful. But this is the greatest invitation. Why? Because Jesus said, the kingdom of God is now here, right here, right now, and God is inviting people to enter in, enter into his kingdom. And what is the kingdom of God? It is a complete new way of life. This is what people don't understand when they hear the gospel. God is inviting people into a complete new way of life. It is a complete new reality that transforms your way of life. This is what Jesus is inviting people into. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, and I've never really been proud to be a Gen Xer. Actually, some of you even make fun of me because I'm a Gen Xer. I remember when we were on missions in Malawi, I would say certain things, and they'd be like, oh, are you a Gen Xer? That's why you're saying that, right? I'm like, ha, ha. But, but it's like, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so what? But I did read this. One special thing about Gen Xers, you're like, what's a Gen Xer? Gen Xers are people born between 1965 and 1980. Okay, I'm right there. But Gen Xers, one special thing about us is that we were actually old enough to remember life without the internet, and yet we were young enough to quickly learn the internet. (laughs) So the internet came into being right when I was like 19, 20, you know? So I remember for almost 20 years of my life, there was no internet. And then right around 1920, the internet suddenly came, and then, wow, I'm young enough to learn this stuff, right? So I learned it. But I remember life before the internet. I remember walking around college campus as a freshman rocking a pager. I had a pager. I was very proud of it. 
And you know, you would like look at the code, you know, <laughs> Helen knows or Maria. <laughs> but it's like, I remember that. I remember using pay phones. They had pay phones. I remember. <laughs> I was on campus looking for a pay phone to call my parents. So I remember life like that. And yet, once the internet came, and I remember my campus, my school was one of the first in the nation to get internet. And I remember we got an email address. I remember thinking, what is this? Right? What is this? Well, little did I know, it was an entire new way of life that had come upon me. Right? The internet. Think about the internet now. Think about how much of your life is woven into the internet. That is a sad, sad, tiny little example of what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's an utterly new way to live your life. I mean, internet is nothing compared to that. Even electricity is nothing. There was a time even before electricity. People had to light candles to read books at night. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is now here. This is an utterly new reality that will transform your way of life. It is life under the perfect rule and reign of God. It is where God's total answer meets your total needs. Again, another sweeping statement, but utterly true. Every problem you face in your life and you will face, and many of you guys are young, you don't even know the problems you're going to face. Your answer to those problems are only in the kingdom of God. And I've been quoting that for the last few weeks from E. Stanley Jones. But that is the kingdom of God. And this is the gospel that Jesus came and preached. He said, it is the kingdom of God that is at hand. This is the good news. It is right here, right now, and you can enter in because I'm here now. You can enter in. And once you enter the kingdom through belief in Jesus, everything in your life will fundamentally change. So do you see now how this gospel begins to lead you towards discipleship? It's not just your ticket to heaven and then you live your life for, for 50, 80 years. Everything fundamentally changes. But why though, right? Why, why does the kingdom transform everything in your life? Well, what is the kingdom of God? What is the most important thing we must know about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, and please remember, remember this. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is acknowledged and obeyed. Wherever God's will is acknowledged and obeyed, his kingdom is there. Now, in one sense, the entire universe is the kingdom of God because God's will is obeyed everywhere, right? The Bible says, who can thwart God's will? God always does his will. But in another sense, God's will, in a more localized way, is not done, right? In the human heart, is not done. And you know that. You don't obey God's will perfectly. You don't submit to his will. I don't either. And so any human heart that does not acknowledge and obey God's will, the kingdom is not there yet. And that's why Jesus had to invite people into the kingdom. You're not in the kingdom yet. Yes, God is the king, whether you acknowledge him or not. He's the king of the universe. His will will always be done no matter what. But in your heart, the kingdom isn't there yet. And why is that? It's because the kingdom of God is always about God's will. Here, is it being acknowledged? Is it being obeyed from the heart? So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, this is exactly what he taught them to pray about. But you know the Lord's Prayer. What did he say? When you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come. And how does God's kingdom come? By your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See? The kingdom of God is always about God's will. And are you obeying it? Is it being acknowledged and obeyed? That's the key issue. Jesus also warned in Matthew 7.21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why not? We said, Lord. We say, Jesus, your Lord. Why not? Because the only one who enters is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See that? That is always the key issue when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. It's the will of God and are you obeying it? So the most important thing about the kingdom of God is God's will being acknowledged and done. And this is why entering the kingdom of God is a complete overhaul. It is an extreme makeover to our entire way of life. See, anybody who has entered the kingdom of God, and see, this is where a lot of division begins to happen. A lot of people who think they're Christian, they're not Christian. They're not in the kingdom, which means they're not going to heaven. Because heaven begins here and now in the kingdom, and then it just flowers into eternity, eternal heaven. But they're not in it now. They're not going to be in there now, uh, later. So, so why is that? It's because they're not submitting to the will of God. Because anybody who enters the kingdom of heaven now, kingdom of God here, acknowledges God's will, and then begins to walk in it. They obey it. So please don't misunderstand me. The gospel is a gift of pure grace. You cannot save yourself. Jesus died, he lived, died, and rose again in order to pay the penalty for our sins, in order to pay the way so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. But once you enter, it's a complete overhaul. It will affect every area of your life. It's foundational. It changes everything. So that's the first point. I know that was a long point. But do you see how important getting the gospel right is? It's very important. So then if you understand that, you're going to understand this next point very easily. The gospel's calling. Okay, the gospel's calling. So look at Mark 1, 16 through 17. This continues the gospel Jesus preached. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So here, Bible teachers say, this is not the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel was earlier when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. But here, you get the call of the gospel. Those are two different things, okay? The content of the gospel is what the gospel actually is. But the call of the gospel is actually what God actually expects us to do once we hear the gospel. So the content of the gospel is Jesus saves sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. Remember that? That's the content of the gospel. The fuller version is the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here, right now. And you can enter in because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the content. But the call of the gospel is different. This is what God expects you to do once you hear it. God has an expectation. It's not like, oh, too bad, you heard it, but nothing happened, let's move on. No, there's a clear expectation. And there are three things God expects people to do once they hear the gospel. It's right here. Repent, believe, and follow Jesus. So go back to Mark 1.15. It's very clear. After Jesus gave the content of the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. You can enter in. And then he gave the call. Repent and believe in the gospel. Very clear, right? Verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. And most Christians are familiar with these two calls. They go, yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, repent and believe. So once you hear the gospel, God first expects you to repent. 
Metanoia, change your mind. In other words, change the way you think about your life. Have you done that? Change the way you think about God. Before, you didn't really care about God. You didn't think about God very much. Maybe you even hated God. You ran away from God. But now you run towards God. See, there's a change in your thinking. Before, you just want to live your life any which way. I just want to do what I want, right? At the deep core of my heart, that's the way I live my life. I just want to do what I want. So don't get in my way. But once you enter the kingdom, metanoia, your thinking changed. No, that's not, that's not really good. That's not the best way to live my life. In fact, I'm going to have a lot of problems if I do that. There are a lot of dead ends I'm going to run into. So now I want to do what God wants. See, metanoia, right? So we know this. We've heard this. That is repentance. God expects that. But that's not all. Another expectation is God wants you to believe. You must repent, change your thinking, and then believe. Believe that Jesus really is God's son. He really is the one that God sent to die for my sins, rise again from the dead, according to the scriptures, to pay for my sins. You really believe in that. You really believe that because of that, now you have eternal life. You will go to heaven. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. He really is the entrance into God's kingdom. You have a full trust in Jesus He is your ticket to heaven, or more importantly, your entrance into the kingdom. So you have a true belief in that. So this is what God expects, repent and believe. So up until now, you're like, yeah, I've heard all this before. Most Christians know this, but please hear this. But if you stop there, that is an incomplete picture of the gospel. That's incomplete. Because there is a third calling of the gospel There's a third way God expects us to respond. And this is where so many Christians, especially in America, just do not get. They don't understand this. But there is a third thing God expects. Follow Jesus. Number three, follow Jesus. So go back to Mark 1.16. This is the very next verse. When Mark wrote his gospel, there were no chapter breaks, no verse breaks. It was just one continuous narrative. So in Mark's mind, this is just running all together. So Jesus appears proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. He makes the call to repent and believe. And then we just kind of think, oh, this next part is just something else. He's just kind of doing something else now. He's calling these fishermen to follow him. No, it's all part of the same thing. There's no break. Immediately after, verse 16, it says, Jesus passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And then shortly after he saw James and John, same thing, follow me, and they followed him. And so when you're reading Mark chapter one, there's no reason to separate Jesus proclaiming the gospel in verses 14 and 15, and Jesus' call to follow him in verses 16 through 20. There's no reason to separate that. You shouldn't separate it. It's just one continuous thing. He proclaimed the gospel, you got the content, and then You get the call. Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. So once Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and he probably proclaimed it directly to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I mean, we kind of separate the stuff out, but it probably just happened all together. He proclaimed the gospel. They heard it. And then he expected these guys to follow how? Repent or respond. I'm sorry. How? Repent, believe, and follow. That's what he expected. 
And if you look at what Jesus preached before, this makes perfect sense. Okay, if you understand the gospel that he proclaimed, if it's not just a ticket to heaven, but you see the full gospel that he proclaimed, this makes perfect sense. Why? Because again, the gospel he preached was the gospel of the kingdom. It's right here, right now, because I'm here now, and I'm going to die and rise again so that you can enter in. And once you enter in, it is a complete overhaul to your life. The foundation's different. It's like getting the internet suddenly, right? No more pager. No more Thomas guy. My wife and I, we always joke around. Back when we were young, we always had a stack of maps and Thomas guys. You're like, what's a Thomas guy? It's just a book of maps, right? There was no GPS. That's how we got around. You had to pull out maps, right? People were always like pulling out maps in their cars. It's a fundamental new way to live life now because the internet is here, but this is so much greater. The kingdom of God is here. And so once you put your faith in Jesus, repent and believe, and now you've entered in, what's the most natural thing you should do? Follow. You must follow Jesus as Lord. Why? Because the kingdom of God is all about obeying his will. Right? We just read those verses earlier. Why do you say, Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Many on that day would say, Lord, Lord of me, and I'll say, leave. I don't even know you. Why? Because you did not do my Father's will in heaven. It's always about God's will. Why did Jesus save us? So that we could live our lives for 40, 50, 60, 80 years, any which way, and then go to heaven? He saved us so that we may be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. Where God's will is perfectly obeyed. And as you begin to live in this new reality, everything changes. It's his total answer to our total needs. It is the invitation of a lifetime. If you pass this up, you've passed up the greatest thing. No ifs, ands, buts. This is his invitation. Repent, believe, and follow. Follow Jesus as Lord. So following Jesus is not what saves you. Again, I want to be clear about that. We are saved by grace and his finished work on the cross. But following Jesus is the natural and critical outcome of being saved by grace. It's the critical outcome of it. It's the proof that you've truly believed. Because now you're in this thing called the kingdom of God where it's all about God's will, right? And that's why the New Testament connects our salvation to making Jesus Lord. I know this kind of touches on that whole lordship salvation controversy. If you don't know what that is, Google it. We're not going to get into it. I'm not here to like, take sides on that controversy. All I know is whenever the New Testament talks about your salvation, it brings up Jesus being Lord. Paul said in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it's always connected. You, you being saved and you declaring Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And when do you receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment of salvation. That's when you're able to say Jesus is Lord. See, if you're sitting here and you struggle to say that, or more to the point, live it out, it's because the Holy Spirit may not be in you. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not in the kingdom. Because once you're in the kingdom and you have the Spirit, that's your desire. You're not going to obey it perfectly. You're going to fall. But deep down, that's what I want. In my life, more than anything, I want to follow Jesus as Lord. 
He is the leader of my life. Whatever he wants, I want that. I don't obey it. I fall. I struggle. I get sad over that. But that's what I want, though, deep down. I want to follow him as Lord. So what is that? That's the disciple. Is that clear? That's a disciple. That is the heart of being a disciple. A, a disciple follows Jesus as Lord over their life. He is master. He is leader. He calls the shots. Whatever he wants is deep down what I want. And for the rest of my life, that is what I'm struggling to do by his grace. So his teaching and his way of life is what I'm striving and learning to do. This is what a disciple is. And where does that come from, brothers and sisters? Directly from that gospel he preached. It's not just a ticket to heaven one day once you die. No, you're going to enter the kingdom here and now, and once you enter in, everything, everything's changing. Oh my gosh, nothing's the same anymore. It's all about his will. So this is the fruit of the true gospel. Okay, not all the skewed, shallow, and false gospels that are out there today producing like really artificial, weird-looking Christian lives. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. This is the true Christian life based on the true gospel. Okay, this is the only true foundation worth building your life on. So if we answer the call of Jesus' gospel to repent, believe, and follow, then there's going to be a profound impact in your life. And that's the, this is the last point. But the gospel's impact. So if you look at Mark 1, 18 through 20, it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the higher servants and followed him. So here you're reading about young men. And they were young. You know, we tend to see these disciples as like middle-aged, bearded guys, you know, <laughs> in their 40s. No, Bible scholars say they were very young. They were probably in their 20s. Some might have been even teenagers, 18, 19 years old. These disciples were very young. They had a whole life ahead of them. This is who Jesus called. And you're reading right here four men who are changed forever. This was the impact of the gospel on their lives. It was total. It was total. And in these verses, the key word there is left. They left everything behind. So Peter and Andrew, they left their nets behind. And what were their nets? Well, it represented a lot of things. Their financial security. This was their career, their business. It'd be like if you had a subway, you're leaving all the, you know, the tuna behind. I don't know. know. You know, if you had like an accounting business, you're leaving your calculator behind. But but it's representing the business, your, your financial security. It's also representing the generations of family tradition, the way they identified themselves with their family. They're leaving all of that behind. They're leaving their purpose in life. This is what they woke up for every morning. They're leaving all of that behind. And so for James and John, it even says that they left their father Zebedee behind. So it wasn't only their nest, but they even left their father behind. And so for them, it wasn't just their family tradition, even financial security, but they were even leaving certain family relationships behind. Now, God isn't calling us to do that, literally, in, in all these different ways. But in our hearts, though, there is a fundamental shift and a break. Why? Again, because you've entered the kingdom of God. Everything's changed. It is now the will of God. And sometimes the will of God is not in line with these things, right? Your former career, your former relationships with your families, your way of doing things, right? Your identity. It doesn't align with that. So there needs to be a break. 
I've shared this before, but I remember in my college ministry, we had a Muslim student who came to faith in Christ. His name was Muhammad, but we all called him Mo. It was an endearing name. But he was known as Mo in our church. But he shared oftentimes, please pray for me, because the moment I accepted Christ, my relationship with my entire family changed, especially his father. And he knew if they found out, they would completely disown him and cast him out of the house. He knew that. So we made him this Bible where we took one of his textbooks from school, we cut out a section of it, and we put his Bible inside, a tiny Bible inside there. And that's how he carried around his Bible, inside a school textbook. But everything changed for that brother. And so this is the picture here. Everything begins to change, right? And so you hear that oftentimes from people of other backgrounds, other religions. You hear that even with people who go into full-time ministry. But there's a break that happens. Fortunately for me, my family was more accepting. They had some questions. They're like, Roy, can't you still be like a doctor and a pastor? Or, or why don't you still be a CEO of a company and a pastor? Why don't you still like run a business and be a pastor? I'm like, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to be a pastor, right? So they had some of these weird thoughts. But, but I've heard other people, other pastors, they were kicked out of their home when they told their family they're going to go into ministry. I remember this one guy said their parents started screaming and throwing things at them. So hopefully this isn't, you know, happened to most Christians who decide to follow God. But, but, but the point being is there's a break. There's a sharp break in your life. So this happened to these young guys, right? These disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But the point is, is responding to Jesus' gospel meant a clear break from their former way of life in every way possible. Their careers, their family relationships, their identities, their purpose in life, everything changed. What they desired every day when they woke up. Okay, have you seen change in that since becoming a follower of Christ? Every day when you wake up, do your desires change or is it still the same thing? Oh, I still like surf the internet for like three hours. I do social media and then I look at all the food I'm gonna eat and then I go try to find the girl that I'm interested in. <laughs> is that, nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but I'm just saying, but has there been a shift in your goal each day, even the thoughts in your minds, even the desires of your heart? Well, for the disciple, everything changes. Everything has changed. You know, in Franco Zeffirelli's movie, Jesus of Nazareth, there's a very poignant scene. I, I don't know why. I, I bring this scene up a lot. I mentioned it before. But in this movie, there's a scene where Peter, he crosses the Sea of Galilee after meeting Jesus for the first time. And then when they get to shore, he gets out of the boat with Jesus and his other friends. And then Jesus says, follow me. And in that movie, there's this poignant scene where Peter looks, and then he looks at Jesus, and then he looks back again. And then he says, okay. And then he pushes his boat away. He pushes it away. And then the boat gently floats away into the fog, right? And then Peter follows Jesus. But that's the picture here. Is there's that sharp, distinct break. Why? Because now you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to follow him. So this is what a disciple is. And there's so much more we're going to look at in the weeks ahead of what this means of following Jesus. But we're going to come to a close. But let me just end by asking this question. Do you even see this as desirable, brothers and sisters? Is this even something that looks like an opportunity to you? Because I know you guys, because I know myself. If there was an opportunity for something that you actually wanted, let's say to make a lot of money or to like date somebody or I don't know, I don't know what you guys are into, or, or to go on some vacation with your family, if there was an opportunity, you would jump on that, right? 
you would be up late into the night doing research and trying to figure out how can I get this opportunity. Well, let me ask, do you see this as the same kind of opportunity? Because that stuff that we care so much about, this is, that's nothing. I mean, it's just, it's just dirt, right? It's just trash. That's what the Bible calls it, rubbish. It's just rubbish and trash compared to what Jesus is offering. Do you see this as an opportunity of a lifetime? I close with this, but Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, prince of preachers, he said, you cannot have Christ if you will not serve him. If you take Christ, you must take him in all his qualities. You must not simply take him as a friend, but you must also take him as your master. If you are to become his disciple, you must also become his servant. And only people who see this as an opportunity of a lifetime are going to take it. Everybody else, they're doing their own thing. They're outside the kingdom. Okay, let's come before the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you so much. Your call is so clear. It is crystal clear, Father. You came at the fullness of time to proclaim the good news. which include a forgiveness of sin, yes. It includes a ticket to heaven, yes. But it's more than that. It was entrance into the kingdom of God here and now, a complete overhaul, a complete transformation of our very lives, the reality of our lives. And the focal point of the kingdom is doing the will of the Father. And as we begin to do the will of the Father, everything changes. Nothing is the same. All the brokenness begins to heal. The sin in our lives that strangled us begins to wither away. We begin to find profound purpose driving our lives towards the most important things, eternal things. We begin to see influence overflowing in our lives. We begin to be salt and light. We don't just live for ourselves and live for stupid things that just fade away, but Lord, we live for the most important things that will last into eternity. All of that because we have now entered the kingdom of God. So Lord God, I really pray and ask, Lord, that you would please help us. Help us to understand the true gospel and to respond with repentance, belief, and following you. So Lord God, that's the disciple. I pray that we would be a church full of disciples. We will all be disciples. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord. Today is Communion Sunday. And so we're gonna just come before the Lord and for a moment, let's respond to the word of God. But let's spend a moment and, and reflect Earlier I said the beginning of the service is not a time to reflect on ourselves. It's a time to focus on God. Well, now it is a time to reflect on ourselves. And so I want to invite you to reflect on where are you at? Have you heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your, is your heart riveted? And if it's not, beg God, God, I'm cold. God, I don't feel the joy and the desires that I should have as a believer for you and for your kingdom. I just don't. Beg God, God, I'm in a dangerous place. Please make my heart come alive again to you. 
And that's going to happen as you hear the gospel again. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? That he loved you that much to die for you. To pay for every sin you've committed and every sin you will commit. Not only so you'll be forgiven, but so you can also enter into the kingdom of heaven. back to that gospel. Ask God to make you alive to that again. And then ask God to help you to follow him. To repent, to believe and follow him. So let's just come before the Lord and and then we're going to move into a time of communion. So Father God, we thank you, Lord. God wants you to hear this. Stop settling for what is less than best. Stop it. Change your mind. Repent. Stop going after and settling for things that are less than best. And realize what God is offering you. Even today, right in this moment, God is offering you. I've given you my son, and through my son, I'm giving you entrance into the kingdom of God, my kingdom. God's total answer to man's total need. It is the home that our hearts are longing for our entire lives and most will never find. God is saying, don't settle for anything less than that. So come to him, come to him. So as we move into a time of communion, let's bring that before the Lord. Lord, am I settling for things that are less than best? Is my heart being drawn to things that are not even just second best, third best? It's actually worthless. These are worthless things. And in the process, I'm giving up the best thing. 
Lord, is that me? May it never be. Lord, may it never be. So, so let's just come before the Lord. We're going to continue our mode of prayer, and we're going to now have a time of communion. let's come before the Lord and if there's any sin that you need to confess before God let's do it right now the Bible says do not eat or drink the Lord's Supper without examining yourself first lest you eat and drink judgment upon yourself what that means is you don't want to take communion which is you professing faith in Jesus his death and resurrection and at the same time be in rebellion to Jesus I mean that makes no sense right How can you profess faith in Jesus and at the same time be in rebellion? So the Bible says don't do that. Examine your heart. Confess your sin. So let's do that right now for a moment. And then we're going to go into communion. Thank you, Father. God, we just come before you, and Lord, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. Lord God, the truth is, as many of us, if not all of us, myself included, we have settled for things that are less than best. We have turned away from your offer of entrance into the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom, life with you, to have you, Lord gone after other things, Lord God, and we do it all the time. And Lord God, I pray and ask that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us, that you would reorient us right now, that we would turn again to you, that we would hear your offer again in a fresh new way, the good news of the kingdom, through your life, death, and resurrection. So Lord God, please, Lord God, please help us. Give us a right heart before you, Lord, as we take communion. And bless this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to take communion now. If you guys can uh, take the first tab and pull it back, you'll see the cracker. And don't take it yet. We'll take it together. But I read from Scripture. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Let's just come before him and let's just spend a final moment together in prayer, praising him, thanking him. And then we're going to come to a close.